Today on Onward to Victory, a first in show history, an extensive look at the state of the program as we head into the annual Spring Blue and Gold game on May 1st. Who's back for the Irish? What position group battles can we expect? What are some of those new exciting names? What question marks surround the program or even exclamation points as we ready ourselves for the 2021 campaign? Man, get those chin straps buckled up, Irish fans. This is Onward to Victory. fans and welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. My name is Alex Painter and I am your host. Welcome to episode 42, coincidentally being recorded on Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball. But as I mentioned in the show introduction, I'll be doing something I haven't really done before and that's a spring preview of your Golden Domers, the Fighting Irish. While I traditionally put together a full-blown season preview episode in August, which, again, I will do this year, this will kind of, I guess, set the table for it. So as a quick reminder, the annual Blue and Gold game is at 12.30 p.m. on May 1st, 2021. And just so you know, the game will be streamed for free on the Peacock app. So Peacock, just in case anyone has missed this, is an NBC subsidiary of sorts. But, again, the good news is, is that the game is free. Just download the app if you haven't already. I think there's a ton of intrigue surrounding the program right now, so I thought it would be most appropriate to get out ahead of it and start talking about it, since the Irish's 2021 kickoff against Florida State is, from the date of this recording anyway, a mere 144 days away. And believe me when I tell you, it'll be here before we know it. Now, before we plunge headfirst into our subject matter at hand, a quick and shameless plug for the Onward to Victory Consensus All-American program. Do you enjoy listening to the show and love it with every fiber of your being? If you do, then please consider becoming one of the program's Consensus All-Americans. These are the special folks, both past and present, who have donated to the show, keeping it on the air, ad-free, and continually growing. And aside from all of those awesome things, the Consensus All-Americans keep the show feeling appreciated, which I certainly appreciate, personally. And it takes quite a while to put all the research into each of these episodes, and of course, some much more than others, but it's always good to know that the show is being listened to and being appreciated. So thank you. This episode of the show is sponsored by All-American Mike Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey undoubtedly the most ardent supporter of the show. And there are quite a few of them, but thank you, pal. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks in part to the All-Americans. I'm incredibly excited to share that some new show merch is now on sale. The show now has t-shirts and coffee mugs. So check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Onward to Victory podcast to get a look at these things as well as how to order. Or if you're not of the Facebook persuasion, I understand. Simply send me an email at onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com and I'll send you a, a catalog of sorts. But I am very, very excited to announce this. So please check them out. I would really, really appreciate it. 
And as another quick aside before we get to the task at hand, if you have a Fire Stick, a Roku, or a Smart TV, whatever, go do yourself a favor and download the Fighting Irish TV app. It is absolutely loaded with Notre Dame content. It's quite beautiful, actually. But think Netflix or Hulu, but all Fighting Irish all the time, and it's free. Now, of course, it has tons of football stuff, as you might expect, but it has content dedicated to all of their sports, and it's a master move for Notre Dame, as this should help expand their brand even more, which who would have thought that was possible, but here's why. It's really leveraging the popular sports, the much more popular sports, I should say, such as football or men and women's basketball, and that's what's drawing you in. However, you're going to get content about volleyball, baseball, the fencing team, swimming, you name it. It's fantastic. So they're really leveraging those marquee programs to shine a light on some of the other programs as well. So seriously, folks, download the app. It's free and you certainly won't regret it. Again, it's called Fighting Irish TV. All right, let's get going with our Notre Dame spring who's who of sorts for the football program. I'm going to save things like breaking down the schedule and like compelling matchups in that regard for the season preview episode, but I am going to talk about each position group, some of the returning names, some of the new names, as well as any of the compelling spring football position battles. Now, off air, I flipped a coin to decide which side of the ball was going first, and offense won. So here's what we're going to do for offense. We're going to start up front, work our way back and then out to the perimeter. Sound like a plan? Good. Offensive line. Let's first up talk about the Hogs up front. Now, I don't have to probably tell many of you that this has been the absolute bread and butter of the entire program of the last couple seasons. And it enters 2021 with some question marks, to say the least. So gone are starters Liam Eikenberg, Bob Hainsey, Aaron Banks, and Tommy Kramer. Now, how much butter was on that bread, you may ask? I needn't remind you all that going into 2020, our offensive line had over 100 career starts, which is pretty bonkers when you think about it. And all four could get drafted, with Eichenberg and Banks probably being plucked maybe by the end of round two, and Kramer and Hainsey look like they could be day three late-round prospects if they're drafted. Uh, Hainsey stands a higher chance to be selected at this time than Kramer. But either way, if you're picking up what I'm putting down, there's a ton of talent who have cycled out of the program this year. So who's left from this vaunted group? The unit will be led and anchored by senior Jarrett Patterson. Patterson brings the most experience to the group, starting 13 games at center as a sophomore and eight games last year as a junior before a foot injury knocked him out for the rest of the season. I think Coach Brian Kelly would like to see Patterson out at tackle, and he may be back starting at center depending on how some other chips fall. But I think best case scenario is that you see a guy like Jarrett Patterson out at tackle. But wherever he is, his wealth of experience will be invaluable as the rest of the unit kind of gets caught up. So the primary chip for Patterson to bump out to tackle is the continued development of junior and Cincinnati native Zeke Correll, who started two games at center last year, including the college football playoff game against Alabama, which gives him great learning experience. 
And Corell is certainly one of my guys to watch and could be an X factor for the entire unit. So who are the rest of the guys then? Josh Lugg is a name that some of you may be familiar with. The fifth-year grad student started five games as a junior and three more last year, including the ACC championship against Clemson. He is a mound of a man at nearly six foot seven and 310 pounds. He is a prime candidate for the other tackle position, but he can also slot in at guard if needs be too. So there seems to be a lot of moving parts for this position group, as you're probably picking up on. And if you're thinking that, you're exactly correct. If you look at how spring practice has played out, you will have seen that there are tons of different combinations for this group they've used thus far, moving and switching people around, trying to find the best combination of five guys. So who should you also be on the lookout for? Be on the lookout for a pair of freshmen in guard Rocco Spindler and tackle Blake Fisher. If they have the opportunity to come in, they will have an opportunity to make huge early impact. Both were highly recruited and were the top two players in the Irish's incoming class. Again, Spindler, a guard from Michigan, one of the best prospects in his entire state, and Blake Fisher was certainly the crown jewel of the Irish's recruiting class. So in summation, while the line isn't anywhere near as seasoned as the past couple years, I do think it's more than capable of being one of the strengths of the offense. But admittedly, if that's going to happen, the Irish is going to have to have the ball bounce their way here for a couple of these spots and have some guys really, really step up. And as usual with the offensive line, health is a big factor. So it's true. We may never see an offensive line as experienced as last year, but if this unit can gel quickly, develop a bit of chemistry and rapport early, they should form a solid, if unspectacular, unit. All right, so moving to quarterback. So long, Ian Book. Gonna miss you, pal. Book finished in the career passing record book second, mostly only to Brady Quinn in most major categories, while also tallying over 1,500 yards on the ground with 17 rushing touchdowns. So who's going to replace this luminary? I think some of the overtures right now are trying to convince us that it's going to be an open competition. And to be fair, it has kind of felt like one thus far, as far as who's getting the first team reps at practice. But I kind of find it hard to fathom that your starter in week one won't be fifth-year senior in Wisconsin transfer Jack Cohn. Sophomore Drew Pine has reputedly worked his absolute tail off since he got to campus. Offensive coordinator Tommy Reese really likes him. I like him too. I'm sure most of you remember him coming into the Rose Bowl off the bench in January when Book went down with an injury, an instance where he completed the only pass he attempted for seven yards before Book returned to the game. And I think in Drew Pine, there's a lot to like about him. But I'm not sure why else you bring in Cone unless it's to start. I know if you frequent Notre Dame circles, you may think that this has been discussed ad nauseum, but here you go once more. Jack Cone has quite a bit of pedigree, including seeing action in over 20 games and leading Wisconsin to a Rose Bowl appearance in 2019. I leave it simply, it's his job to lose. How is he different than, say, his predecessor, Ian Book? I'll say it like this. He's more accurate, but far less agile. He boasts a higher completion percentage over his career than Book, but most definitely 
does not have the ability, or at least he has not shown the ability, to get out and scramble and pick up large chunks of yards. Counting sacks, of course, his career rushing yards are actually measured still in the negative. So yeah, he does not possess this part of the game that we are very, very accustomed to seeing out of this position. But however, he most certainly provides some stability to a position group who has just lost one of the best quarterbacks Notre Dame has had in the past few decades. And if he's more of a quote-unquote game manager, well, at least he's got some really talented people to hand the ball off to. So speaking of, let's move on to running back. Two names you know, Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree. The splendid sophomore Williams registered 1,125 yards on the ground and another 313 yards receiving on 35 catches, all en route to 14 touchdowns. He was named second team All-ACC. So let's say it this way. If Williams can notch 1,000 yards this season, he will have almost broken into the top 10 in rushing yards in program history. He's a very impressive runner. We all know that one. And Tyree, who is blazing fast, averaged nearly seven yards per carry and added another four touchdowns. Tyree was also the primary kickoff returner. Expect to see heavy doses of both of them early and often. In addition, the group is rounded out by senior and show favorite, Sebo Flemister, who actually scored five touchdowns last season. Sebo, as far as last year anyway, was kind of the de facto short yardage back. He's kind of a big body. He's a very powerful runner. And he should still be able to break into games his senior year. And I hope he does, even if in just mop-up situations. He's easy to root for. But make no mistake, this group will be the highlight of the offense. And they are going to sneak up on anyone this year, kind of like it feels like they might have a little bit last year. Now that Teams have the entire 2020 season's worth of film on them. However, for most opponents, it really shouldn't matter. If Cone, or to be fair, whoever the quarterback will be, can remain an efficient passer and the running backs lead the way, the offense can remain potent, even with a developing offensive line. Now, a big question for this season, similar to last year, is going to be who is catching passes on the perimeter. But before we get to the perimeter, let's talk about some tight ends. How about one name that you will most certainly remember from last season if you watched, well, any of the games? That's Baby Gronk himself, Michael Mayer, Covington Catholic product. Mayer came in as a true freshman and really shown, and at times we really needed him to. While the receivers were getting a bit, shall we say, ironed out at the beginning of the season, Mayer just produced. He caught at least one pass in every single game, ended tied for the team high of 42 receptions, and finished second on the team with 450 yards in addition to two scores. He will provide whoever is under center with a very seasoned tight end. And a versatile one at that. Mayer, paired with the running backs, will, I gotta believe, will be the stars of the show in 2021. And yes, this is in lieu of knowing anything that is going to happen during summer camp. However, this is just, I think, a foregone conclusion. So with all eyes on Mayer in the position group, one of my breakout candidates for 2021 is also a tight end, and that's junior George Takis. 
Notre Dame routinely uses multi-tight end sets, and this year won't be any different. Takis stands nearly six foot seven. He's got really soft hands and could present, well, hellacious mismatches. And not only that, he's a very capable and willing, gritty blocker. So you might be thinking, like, why haven't I heard of Takis before? Well, you know, being last year, particularly being buried in the depth chart by Sage veteran Tommy Tremble and, of course, freshman phenom Michael Mayer. You know, in the year before, you saw Cole Komet getting most of the snaps with Tommy Tremble at the tight end position. I mean, there's just, it's Notre Dame. It's tight end you. You've, you've got a bevy of talented tight ends on the roster at any given time. So, however, this year, look for Takis to see plenty of green. So on to the wide receiver position. Like last year, a lot of intrigue and upside, but not a ton of proven production. The top two receivers in Javon McKinley and Ben Skoranek with 42 and 29 receptions respectively are gone. Returning, though, is yet another show favorite in Avery Davis, who logged 24 catches for 322 yards and a couple scores in 2020. In fact, here's one for you. Davis's 39 career receptions are more than the next two guys, Braden Lindsay and Lawrence Keyes III, combined. But don't discount the two names I just said. Lindsay and Keyes are going to be guys that simply need to be available and need to step up in 2021. And early returns on spring practice suggest they have. As far as size, all three of the receivers we discussed thus far are under six foot. Not to say that size is everything, but it is nice to have some size out on the perimeter as we saw out of Skoranek and McKinley, six foot three and six foot two, respectively. So as far as, hey, who do we got in the group that's got a little bit of size on him? That's Joe Wilkins, an exemplary blocker at six foot one, 190 pounds is back. He logged seven catches last year. And Kevin Austin, six foot two, 215 pounds, who has six career grabs, should see some time as well, particularly, again, if a little bit of girth is needed. But look for Lindsay in particular and keys to shine early. Those two guys are awfully fast. Avery Davis will probably play in more of a slot role and be a steady producer and give, again, whoever is playing quarterback a proven target. Now, something as far as development is concerned as well. If you've heard Avery Davis speak and you just know, or if you have a good sense of just how selfless this guy is, he's played every position that he probably could play for this program. He came in as a quarterback. He's played quarterback, receiver, running back, and defensive back. But talk about a guy who you just really love the fact that he is in the wide receiver room, hopefully mentoring some of these young guys. And I think though that feels a bit intangible, uh, don't discount that effect. So again, The book on the wide receiving core heading into 2021 is very similar to last year. A lot of upside, a lot of intrigue, but little experience. But again, to be fair, when you're thinking of it as pass catchers, you do add Michael Mayer. And last year, I don't think we had a guy with almost 40 career catches like uh, Avery Davis does uh, coming back. So again, I think we're probably a little bit ahead of where we were last year at this time. But again, it feels kind of similar, but the biggest question I have for the offense overall is, will they be able to score points quickly enough? We have seen points in college football trending up with the most successful teams year after year after year after year being able to pile on points 
into the 40s nearly every single week. Look at Alabama and the big hubbub that Notre Dame held them to less than 35 points for the first time in eons. But last year, Notre Dame averaged 33.4. That number has to continue to trend up somehow. Here's what I think we have this year that maybe it didn't feel like we had as much last year. We have a lot more, I think, catch-and-run ability. If you can get Lindsey and Keys going in this regard, using them a little bit more like, say, Alabama and Clemson uses their receivers, again, more of the catch-and-run, you know, make a guy miss, pick up huge chunks of yards. I mean, essentially, a lot of these offenses are just waiting for a blown coverage assignment that will ultimately pick them up a huge chunk of yards. And I feel like that's why a lot of the offenses are successful. You, you just pick and prod at defenses until eventually there will be a mistake made and then you exploit it. So I think they're a little bit more composed this year to be a little bit more that style. You know, whereas Skoranek and McKinley were a little bit larger a lot of their, particularly McKinley, a lot of his damage came on like the 50-50 balls that Book would throw up to him. I think this year there's a little bit more capability to replicate what some of the successful programs are doing with their wide receivers. So, anywho, let's flip to the defensive side of the ball, and let's first start with a scheme change. Marcus Freeman, new Irish defensive coordinator. He favors the 3-3-5 base alignment. At least that's kind of what he did at Cincinnati. And his scheme has early on been billed a bit simpler for the linebackers than the Clark Lee defense reputedly was. So let's start up front here. There will be no shortage of talent and experience in the defensive trenches. Even though starting ends, Adi Ogundeji and Dalen Haynes have both graduated. But two names to replace them, and you may remember them both well. Isaiah Foskey and Myron Tagovailoa Amosa. Foskey burst onto the scene last year, recording four and a half sacks and blocking a punt. Myron walks into 2021 as a fifth-year senior with double-digit career tackles for loss, including five and a half last year with two and a half sacks. Now, Myron is a bit bigger, tipping the scales at nearly 290 pounds. While that is prototypical defensive tackle size, the three-front does rely on larger defensive ends at times. Why? Well, just in case, I actually ran a, when I was in college, my, my program, we ran a three-front, but the idea is, of course, that you get your defensive line to eat up as many blockers as possible that way that leaves your you know defensive backs or safeties or your linebackers to kind of run free and create uh, havoc or make plays or blitz or whatever have you typically with a three front you're blitzing a lot more so again he is a prototypical defensive tackle size but that three front does rely on larger ends so when the Irish switch to a four-man front in any of their packages expect to see Myron kick down to a three technique or shaded over the offensive guard's outside shoulder. So Justin Adamalola will most certainly see significant time at end as well. But of this group, Isaiah Foskey is without a question my breakout candidate. If he can make that junior leap, this position group's going to be looking really, really good. And that's because inside the interior lineman at nose guard slash defensive tackle, a wealth of experiences back. I was super stoked when I heard this guy in particular was coming back. That is fifth-year senior Kurt Heinisch, and he will be back in the trenches. He's a name you've heard many, many times over the years. 
and I don't know why. I think he's just one of those guys who feels like he's been around for about eight years, but last year he registered the third most tackles for loss on the team, behind only Drew White and the great Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. But for a career, he has 14 and a half tackles for loss and five and a half sacks. That's a lot of production out of a nose guard. And he is going to be huge for the entire defense. And he will be backed up by the other Adam Alola twin, Jason and Jacob Lacey. Both of those men have seen fairly significant snaps and they are certainly some quality depth. Adam Alola in particular has a high ceiling if he can stay healthy. You're probably going to see both those... Adam Alola's on the defensive line probably at the same time next year. And I know I probably mentioned this in the past, but I went to the New Mexico game last year with my wife and son, and we actually saw their parents. They were wearing custom Irish t-shirts to celebrate their kids, which, my goodness, if I had had twins who both went to Notre Dame, I'd probably be doing the same thing. But uh, anywho, on paper, the line looks to be the strongest part of the defense. I don't think there's actually any question to this. And if that's the strongest part of your defense, man, that's something to always be excited about. So moving back to linebacker, the name everyone is talking about replacing is, of course, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. And for good reason. I mean, did you watch the guy? The unanimous All-American, ACC Defensive Player of the Year, and he Butkus Award winner was absolutely absurd. Last year, he logged 62 tackles, 11 and a half in the backfield, three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, an interception, a touchdown. Suffice to say, the guy was pretty much everywhere, and selfishly, here's to hoping the Cleveland Browns draft him. But anyways, who's returning? It's somewhat encouraging, if you ask me, though question marks remain. The group's unequivocal leader is middle linebacker Drew White who is already a two-year starter with 144 tackles and 17 tackles for loss under his belt. He's by far the most seasoned guy in the room. And no matter what front Coach Freeman wants to run, whatever scheme you will see, expect to see number 40 in the middle of it. He's going to be a huge asset to this defense. And now it's kind of his show as far as the front seven's concerned. He is the leader. And... I think he's got it in him to step it up. But after White, gets a bit dicey, I guess. Again, I'm not sure what the base front for Notre Dame will be come September, but I'll offer some names that you can expect to see. Bo Bauer will certainly see significant snaps and probably will start outright. He saw action in all 12 games last year, registering 26 tackles, including four and a half stops in the backfield and an interception. Behind White, he's probably the most proven commodity that Notre Dame has in the position group. Shane Simon and Marist Leofau have flashed, but haven't necessarily endeared enough to see the field consistently. But while he's technically listed as a safety now, look for Isaiah Pryor, an Ohio State transfer who's now in his second year with the Irish to see reps as he's kind of crept down into the box. And a couple of Hoosiers in former Mr. Indiana football Jack Kaiser, who showed out well in a couple games last year, including his spur-of-the-moment start against South Florida. And local Mishawaka product Paul Muala, who is recovering from injury, should also see a significant amount of time. And truthfully, both of those, all the names I've listed, I mean... Everyone's going to have an opportunity to win a spot. I mean, White's spot is solidified. He will be out there. Number 40 will be out there. But the rest, it's kind of fluid. It's going to be who has probably the best camp. 
But if you're picking up what I'm putting down, that's the source of the question marks. We have Drew White and what appear to be quite a few spare parts at this time. I have little doubt that new coordinator Freeman can cobble together a nice rotation, and this group has upside, and hopefully it's realized as they see more snaps and get more comfortable with the Freeman defense. Okay, how about the defensive backfield now? Well, no secret, the highlight of the group is 2020's leading tackler for the Irish and first-team All-ACC safety, Kyle Hamilton. The coaching staff will be handling the now-junior Hamilton with some kid gloves, as some injury concerns are starting to mount a little bit. He won't be participating in spring activities as a result because he did have a minor surgery, but he could be very well the best player in the program regardless of position. And some are looking at the fact that he's going to be inactive for the spring to get healthy as perhaps something of a good thing. But if you're looking for a guy to follow on the defensive side of the ball, find yourself number 14, Kyle Hamilton, and track him. He's always doing something special, it would certainly seem. But the real question is, because Hamilton, it's a foregone conclusion that you will see plenty of him. Who's going to be standing next to him at the safety spot? This, as well as a cornerback, legitimately makes me the most nervous on this entire defense. And if I was an opposing coach, this is the group I'd plan to pick on. Gone is longtime domer Sean Crawford. And I mean that too. I think he was in the program for six years, if memory serves. But enter a member of the Onward to Victory 2019 All-Sleeper team, Houston Griffith. While I may have missed on Griffith a couple years ago, he wasn't necessarily a sleeper, he hadn't seen a whole lot of field, he will be given every opportunity to thrive this year in Freeman's defense. And famously, he actually entered the transfer portal earlier this year, but Freeman actually helped convince him to stay on. And like I said, he hasn't seen much of the field, but he has good size, athleticism, and hopefully a renewed hunger. Griffith, I mean, he simply has to work out there. Behind them, uh, Griffith and Hamilton is DJ Brown, who played in seven games last season. That's about it. Hamilton must stay healthy, and Griffith has got to find his sea legs. And I hate to be a downer, but (laughs) cornerback could be an issue as well. Gone is Nick McLeod, the North Carolina State transfer, who, man, had a really nice 2020. Now senior, Tariq Bracey, who looked fantastic at times in 2019 and abysmal at other times in 2020, leads this group. I do expect a good season out of him, but his regression in 2020 has given many a pundit some pause. Last year, true freshman Clarence Lewis put together a really nice first year at corner, breaking up seven passes and forcing a fumble. At this time, given his experience, I certainly have him penciled in as a starter. But after those two guys, I am getting pretty nervous, as I, or we, I should say, haven't seen most of them play any meaningful snaps. This group would get a big boost, and I mean big boost, out of junior Cam Hart if he is ready. The big-bodied corner hasn't seen much time on the field on Saturday, but he has impressed thus far in the spring. The defensive backfield needs some help. I will say it that way, and I wouldn't be surprised if a transfer comes in over the summer to help solidify any of the spots back there. I guarantee you that 
the defensive staff is looking at the transfer portal. Maybe not right at this moment, but it's certainly something they're keeping an eye on just for some reinforcements. So I guess in summation, the defense looks really good up front and in the middle with Heinish, White, and Hamilton. But there are a lot of growth edges defensively. But they do have a new scheme, an exciting scheme, an exciting new coach, an innovative coach. And there are a lot of people who believe that if you are built strong in the middle of the defense, you're going to have a strong defense. And if you are someone who subscribes to that train of thought, again, Heinish, White, and Hamilton is going to comprise the middle of our defense. And those are three really good players, easily the three best players on the defense. All right, so... Finally, how about special teams? I'm happy to announce that nothing is changing here. Kicking duties will once again be held by Jonathan Doerr, who is now a fifth-year grad student. Last year, Doerr connected on all 49 of his extra points and 15 of his 23 field goals for a 65% accuracy. Though that was a bit of a precipitous decline from the year before, where he hit 17 of his 20 attempts for an 85% accuracy. Either way, though, Dor, as we know, is incredibly competent, and he has made some big kicks during his career. And yes, he has shown to be streaky at times in a way that maybe we weren't used to seeing with Justin Yoon, the previous kicker, but he's as solid as any kicker, I believe, in the college game right now. And with similar output of the last two years, Dor actually stands to quietly launch into the top three in school history in multiple kicking records, uh, trailing only Kyle Brinza and, well, the aforementioned Justin Yoon. So Dor will once again be the kicker. And punting will again be handled once again, I should say, by Jay Bramblett. Over his 106 career punts, Bramblett averages 40.8 yards per punt, which is actually good for third most in school history. And he progressed, I think one of the most impressive progressions last year was out of the punter himself from his freshman to sophomore year. He averaged nearly 43 yards per punt last season, so I think he added about five yards onto his punt. Um, You know, he even flashed a bit of athleticism last season. He carried the ball twice on fakes for 21 yards. And if memory serves, I think he had a touchdown-saving tackle against Clemson. So... No worries on the special teams, folks. Not one iota. So as far as the entire program is concerned, there are some really special players. And there are some really glaring growth edges for the team right now. So, but you know, I guess at the end of the day, I'm a bit of an optimist and there are no perfect college football teams out there. Every team has question marks at the beginning of every season, particularly in the spring before the spring game, but keep a lookout for some of those names that I mentioned during the blue and gold game. Again, you're not going to see a guy like Kyle Hamilton out there because they're keeping him out of that, but look for some of those linebackers and the defensive backs in particular, some of those offensive line combinations and, oh boy, those quarterbacks. There's a lot of open competitions, and I think that that's really exciting. A competition breeds performance and it breeds character, and I think that's good for any football team. So, like I said, a lot of really exciting things to be watching. And I hope that that preview was informative and possibly even enlightening this Onward to Victory spring preview. But I will be right back for show wrap 
right after this. That was fun for you. Again, I hope you appreciated the spring preview. I know that with all those names, some familiar, maybe some less so, it might have felt like we were all kind of drinking from the fire hose, but sometimes that's the best way to absorb a preview. Just kind of hear the names, get familiar or re-familiar with them. And again, we got the spring game coming up again, 1230, May 1st on the Peacock TV app. So then we can all kind of enjoy it together and kind of make our own assessments of where some of these position group battles and the state of the entire program is in general. So I want to thank you for joining me, uh, wherever it is that you may be joining from. Please know that I am incredibly grateful for your time and, again, your support of the show. So please jump over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Onward to Victory Podcast. Give a like and follow. That is where all of the new uh, updates, I guess, are kind of funneled through. And again, and if you're not of the Facebook persuasion, that's perfectly fine. Whatever you're listening to, whatever you're using, I should say, to listen to the show right now, whatever app, whatever platform, please subscribe. That way you're getting alerted to all of the newest episodes. So if you're on uh, your iPhone, again, it's that purple podcast icon. Please subscribe. Again, that way you're getting alerted to whenever a new episode comes out. So please don't hesitate to send the show an email at onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com if you have some thoughts about anything that was discussed today. Agree, vehemently, disagree, whatever it might be. I'd love to hear from you, so please don't hesitate to sound off. Again, just a friendly reminder that there is new show merch. Again, t-shirts, coffee mugs, got got a, a, the works. So if you are interested and you're not of the Facebook persuasion, just send me a quick email and I'll send you the quote unquote catalog. And if you are on Facebook, jump over to the show page and check it out. It's pinned to the top of the page. You simply can't miss it. But again, I kind of mentioned this in the Facebook post. All of the proceeds are going to go towards the show, but also a to be determined nonprofit organization, which I'll share with you all here very soon. So thanks to my pal, Mike Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, for all of the support. He is our consensus All-American. And if you are interested in joining the consensus All-American ranks and sponsoring the episodes here, go to paypal.me slash onward to victory for a one-time donation or patreon.com slash onward to victory podcast if you'd like to donate every single month. Again, I super appreciate all of the support that has gone into this show from all of you for now almost the last two years. We are coming up on the two-year mark, and we'll celebrate accordingly. So thank you all. But I want to also thank Joseph Rakish, who, if you haven't heard, his song was the theme song to our show. It's called Canute Rockney, very appropriately. You can listen to it on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, however you digest music. Go listen to the song, add it to your pregame playlist, add it to the playlist that you listen to as you're going into work in the morning. Uh, That's what I tend to do. But again, Joseph, thanks, pal. I really appreciate it. So I guess I'll sign off. But hey, just again, do not hesitate to interact with the show or hey, buy some merch. But uh, this has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter.
And as always, go Irish. Thank <laughs> you.